invite Brielle to come up and share our scripture readings this morning. Good morning. Uh, The first reading is from Psalm 137, and it's uh, page 973 in the Pew Bibles. By the rivers of Babylon we sat and wept when we remembered Zion. There on the poplars we hung our harps, for there our captors asked us for songs. Our tormentors demanded songs of joy. They said, Sing us one of the songs of Zion. How can we sing the songs of the Lord while in a foreign land? If I forget you, Jerusalem, may my right hand forget its skill. May my tongue cling to the roof of my mouth if I do not remember you, if I do not consider Jerusalem my highest joy. Remember, Lord, what the Edomites did on the day Jerusalem fell. Tear it down, they cried, tear it down to its foundations. Daughter Babylon, doomed to destruction, happy is the one who repays you according to what you have done to us. Happy is the one who seizes your infants and dashes them against rocks. The second scripture is Luke 17, verse 5 to 10, and it's on page 1,627 in the Pew Bibles. The apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. He replied, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it will obey you. Suppose one of you has a servant plowing or looking after the sheep. Will he say to the servant when he comes in from the field, come along now and sit down to eat? Won't he rather say, prepare my supper, get yourself ready, and wait on me while I eat and drink? After that, you may eat and drink. Will he thank the servant because he did what he was told to do? So you also, when you have done everything you were told to do, should say, we are unworthy servants, we have only done our duty. Now I'm not going to preach on the psalm the psalm today but if you were paying attention or following along there's some rough stuff in the psalms isn't there and um, sometimes folks come to me and they'll say oh i feel guilty i feel this way toward god or i struggle with this doubt and i always tell them open up the psalms because if you felt it whether it's violent anger like david felt at the end of psalm 137 or joy or doubt or sorrow it's all there And God can take however we feel. So, use that to give yourself permission to feel how you feel and take it to God, right? Well, friends, let's pray. God, as we come into your presence looking for a word that helps us live these days in which we are in, meet us where we are. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear all that you would have for us. Like clay in the hands of the potter, mold us, make us, and then fill us, vessels fit for your use. For we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, today is Worldwide Communion Sunday, and in a sense I want to focus on that for the remainder of our worship service today. Um, But I do want to touch on the Gospel reading as well. Well, first, Worldwide Communion Sunday. Worldwide Communion Sunday, if you're unaware, began in the context of the aftermath of World War II. And there was a Presbyterian pastor in the Pittsburgh area who had noticed uh, that, that the churches had become somewhat disjointed, one from another. Poor communication, they weren't working together toward a common vision and common goals. 
And so he thought, wouldn't it be great if one Sunday a year, we focused on the one thing that should unite us more than anything? That's the body and blood of Jesus Christ. And so what started in Pittsburgh in the aftermath of of World War II, as I'm sure people were grappling with things like unity in a a new, fresh, different kind of way, and and what it meant to, to be gathered together in spite of all the, the fracturing and difficulty and trauma that had happened, World Communion Sunday came out of that one area. And it grew and it grew until more denominations observed it. And in fact, today you'll find churches all over the world celebrating Worldwide Communion Sunday. So friends, isn't it incredible that today when you are invited to come forward and you receive a piece of bread and you take the cup with a little bit of grape juice in it, that you are doing something that millions and millions of Christians at this moment all around the world are doing. That should give us some perspective, shouldn't it? To remind us that we're not alone. And in the body of Christ, friends, I think this is maybe especially pertinent for us to hear in the current world in which we live. There's more that unites us than divides us. Jesus Christ, His prayer in John 13 was that we would all be one. That the church would be one. United in a common witness to a needy, dark world. When we take communion today, maybe your prayer, I know my prayer will be, and maybe your prayer as well, would be, God, in a time of division, help me be united with my brothers and sisters here and all around the world, that we point to Jesus first and foremost as we remember what he did for us on the cross. If I were asked to ask you to define faith, what might you say? If I were to ask you to define faith, one of those churchy words we use a lot, right? Faith, love, grace, mercy, hope. How many of us really think about these words that we use, these good Bible words, like faith? How would you define it? Belief. I heard another, Tom said something about believing, belief. Acting on what you believe, okay. Trusting, oh, Brielle, that's a good word. You're getting, you're getting into my sermon, thank you. Reality. So, so faith is just the nature of the world in which we live, right? It, it, it surrounds us in a sense. It's, it's what's, I, I, what a college professor of mine said, what's really real. I like that. Anybody else? Knowing. Giving up control. So knowing, giving up control, belief, trust, reality. Hope. Hope, living, acting out what you believe. All right. You you all can define faith uh, pretty well. Pretty well. You know, when you come to the Bible and and we come to texts like Luke chapter 17, where faith, you know, our, our, our context, our key word is right there at the beginning. The disciples say to Jesus, Lord, increase our faith. 
Now, they offer that in response to a particular situation that Hector got at in children's sermon today. And that happens a few verses just before where our reading today picks up. Jesus taught on forgiveness. And he said exactly what Hector alluded to. Be ready to forgive those who come to you for forgiveness, even if they offend you and they ask for forgiveness seven times in one day. Forgive them. And you know what the disciples say in response to that? Lord, increase our faith. You know, I, 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 when I wrestled with the context a bit this week, but the more I thought about it, the more that is an appropriate a response as any when being confronted with the need to forgive. I don't know about you and your situations in life, but I have found that some of the most difficult moments are when I've had to forgive somebody. And sometimes in those moments, perhaps you, as well as I, have had to rely on a strength that we could not conjure up on our own in order to be able to forgive somebody. I think the disciples, after Jesus offers that teaching on forgiveness, realize just what a difficult task that is to forgive. And they say, oh, increase our faith. In other words, I think the disciples see a correlation between an increased faith and an ease of forgiving. And then Jesus responds to them with this incredible image, the image of a mustard seed. Melissa, do we have a slide up there? Those are mustard seeds on the top left of the screen. Little teeny tiny seeds. Maybe some of you have them at home in your, um, in your urban spice cabinet. These little tiny round seeds that, that you can grind those up with a mortar and pestle and you can get mustard powder. They're teeny, tiny little seeds. And then down here on the bottom right is a mustard tree. Now, I was reading a book this week by a guy who's a biblical scholar, and he lived in the, ancient, or lived in the Middle East for his entire life. And he said, you know, when we see a mustard tree, or we talk about a mustard tree, it's actually kind of a misnomer. Because over in the Middle East, they refer to it more as a bush. And it's highly invasive. It takes a lot of work to keep a mustard tree or a mustard bush manicured, producing properly, and uh, contained in such a way that it doesn't overtake everything. So that is a mustard bush right there. And what can you tell me about the sort of climate or environment in which it is growing? What do you see all around it? Rocks, dirt, mustard seed can take root in just about any kind of soil, and pretty soon it takes over, even among the big rocks in the desert. Now, just above that mustard tree or mustard bush is a mulberry tree. What do you notice about that other tree? It's all green around it. It's got a, it's, now, this picture doesn't do it justice. I saw another one with a gentleman standing in front of it. It'll give you a sense of the size of that tree. Around the trunk of it, you could, you could probably turn that into a house. 
It's huge. In fact, some of the oldest trees in that area of the world are mulberry trees, which actually are part of the sycamore tree family. And when you hear sycamore trees, there are a certain Bible story that comes to mind. Zacchaeus was a wee little man. Remember that song? He climbed up in a sycamore tree. Now, sycamore trees had a lot of branches. You can sort of tell from maybe this angle that if you're adept at climbing trees, that's probably one that you could climb. Big branches that go out low. They're huge trees. They're beautiful trees. And you could climb it and you could see all around. Those sorts of trees, those mulberry trees, which are part of the sycamore tree family, have an extensive root system. Giant roots that get into the ground. And in fact, mulberry trees or sycamore trees, if, if you were a, a farmer in the ancient world in Jesus' day, and you had a plot of land, and you had a giant sycamore tree, it was way more work to actually cut it down and try to tear up the root system. You would just work around it. They were huge. So here at the bottom, you have something that's really more of a shrub or a bush than a tree. It's highly invasive and often would spring up where it wasn't really wanted. It could take over everything. And here above that, you have this mulberry tree or this sycamore tree with this incredible root system, this huge circumference around the tree. They were regal, noble trees, prized for their beauty and their wood. So Jesus says to his disciples in response to their request to increase our faith, he said, if you had faith as small as that mustard seed, which eventually turns into that bush at the bottom, you can say to that mulberry tree, that tree at the top, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it will obey you. Now there's something ridiculous in that statement, in that there's no way you could have a team of the strongest men with the best tools available to them at that time, and they would have an incredible struggle uprooting that mulberry tree and moving it somewhere else. And yet Jesus says, if, if you have faith, just the side of that mustard seed, and, and those disciples would have known exactly what that mustard seed produced. And Jesus says, if you have something like that, that can overpower, remove that tree. Jesus, what do you say? Well, what does Jesus say to the disciples? What do the disciples say to Jesus? Increase our faith. And listen to how Jesus responds to them. He doesn't say, okay, let me teach you how to have more faith. Let me take the faith that you already have and we'll do something together so that the, the, the volume or the amount of your faith increases. No, he doesn't say that at all, does he? He says, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, In other words, if you have just the teeny, tiniest bit of faith, you can say to the mulberry tree, something huge, gigantic, strong and powerful, immovable, you can say to that, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it will obey you. 
How many of you have ever had times in your life where you have felt uh, perhaps guilty or perhaps desiring more faith? More faith. When we come to the Bible, there are different words used for faith which get at a different shade of meaning or nuance of what faith means. Now, one of them uh, means what many of you responded with, which is assent. So that is belief or understanding, knowing certain things. Yes, assent. Belief, that's important. There's another one that means radical trust. Radical trust. Now we're starting to move out of the realm of sort of head knowledge and knowing things about or having beliefs. It's something a little different, isn't it? Trust is different. You can know somebody. You can know everything there is to know about them. But trusting them? That's something else entirely, isn't it? They can be linked. They can be related. But to trust somebody is a different endeavor than just knowing about them. There's another word that's used for faith um, that has its... Has its um, from which we derive our modern word fidelity. Fidelity, which is a loyalty, steadfastness, being true to someone or something. That's another word often used for faith. And then there's the last word which used for faith, which refers to vision, being able to see clearly. So faith has something to do with our beliefs, has something to do with our trust. It has something to do with our, our own ability to be loyal and committed to someone or something. It also speaks to vision. Being able to perceive things clearly. Getting at what's really real. When Jesus talks about faith, and here, friends... I think gets to the heart of the matter. This is what makes Christianity different than any other religion. Is we don't just know things about a person. We don't just have a prescription to follow or, or, or rules to follow in relationship to somebody. We're given an actual person. Jesus Himself. We don't just need to believe things about Jesus. We believe Jesus. See, friends, I think that when we come to this scripture and, and we think, oh, that's us. That's us. We're like the disciples. We need more faith. I think in a way that misses the point. It's not that we have more faith. It's that we properly apply the faith that we already have. And friends, are we sitting here this morning believing things about Jesus? Maybe you've been coming to church all your life. Maybe you know the Bible well. Maybe you can tell me all sorts of facts about Jesus. But friends, I dare say there's a lot of people who know a lot about Jesus, but they've never met Jesus. That's what Jesus is telling us. What is the object of your faith? Are you counting on what you know about Him? Or has what you known about Him moved into trust, loyalty, commitment, through Jesus being able to perceive and to see things clearly. 
Friends, here's something that Jesus promised us. When we want to meet Him, when we come to Him with an open heart and a desire to be more closely connected to Him, to be more intimately related to Him, He's promised to meet us. He's promised to take that little, tiny, mustard seed faith that we have. We may think it's small, but in the hands of Jesus, that little amount of faith can tackle the most immovable obstacles in your life. And we're about to come to a place where Jesus said He would meet us. Right at this table. That through the ordinary things of bread and juice, and through the ordinary everyday moments in our lives, and through our ordinary everyday stuff, it's in those places and in those ways Jesus has promised to meet us, to come into our lives, to take what little bit of faith we think we have. When it's applied to Him, He can take it. And we might even find the sycamore trees in our lives are moved out of the way. Amen.